It's a great crowd for Wednesday night. I know I said this a couple weeks ago when Preacher got on to me for it in a staff meeting or said something about it the next Sunday. I said, you guys know you're in a tent, right? And, and it just amazes me every time I'm standing here and look at how dedicated uh, the people of Temple Baptist Church are. And it's a real encouragement. And I, I tell you, I appreciate you guys. Hey, you know what? I messed up back here. Will you fix that for me if you can? I forgot to get that fixed. Y'all don't look. Yeah, there we go. Thanks. That's great. It was just catching on my collar. Uh, but but I, every time I stand up here in this and see all of these people on a Wednesday night, especially, how many of you here were last Wednesday night? If you were here last Wednesday night, and you came back? I mean, you guys do love Jesus. That was brutal, wasn't it? And I had to give my coat to my wife. I like to froze. I'm not doing that anymore. Listen, I'm glad you're here. Uh, the passage that we're going to read this evening is a little bit lengthy. So what we're going to do is I'm going to go ahead and have prayer and let you sit down and we'll take a look at that passage. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Lord, we're so glad that we could come together and worship you, study your word, and just have a time of fellowship together. I pray, Lord, that everything we do will bring honor and glory to you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you can be seated. I was thinking about... Who's been eating cookies up here in the choir? I mean, there's a cookie right there. I was, uh, when my son was playing Little League football, which was quite a few years ago, went to one of his practices, and I won't never forget, and, and I'm sure the guy meant well, and he was doing the best he could, but he's just hollering at him over and over, Block! Block! And he just keeps saying that over and over and over to the point where I'm just thinking, man, I wish somebody would block over there. It's wearing me out. And I, I was, in my mind, I immediately went back to when I was in Pee Wee playing football for my dad. Now, my dad coached in this same community league uh, for like nine years, and he tied one game. That's no joke. He was the uh, Bear Bryant, Nick Saban uh, Urban Meyer of, uh, of, of this little league football community. And, uh, and I remember how that dad, I played on the offensive line. I know it's hard for some of you to believe, but, uh, I played on the offensive line as a little kid and I can remember him saying, uh, uh, you want to keep your feet shoulder width. You want to fire off the ball and stay low. Present a wide front. Take short, choppy steps. Put your head on the opposite side of the way you want to drive the man. Move him out of the hole and create a lane for this running back to run through. We're like in the third grade. He's just rattling this off to us. But I remember that Dad didn't stand there and scream block to us. He showed us how to block. You see the difference? This other guy, bless his heart, doing the best he could, all he did was jump up and down holler block. Well, I kind of feel like that guy a few weeks ago when I preached on Sunday morning. We talked about some observations about a storm. And we talked about how the storms are inevitable. They're coming. There's nothing you can do about it. We talked about how there are other ships in the storm. There are other people that are having difficulties. We talked about how that some ships wouldn't make it to the, to the shore. And we talked about the ship that has Jesus in it always makes it to the shore. But you know what we didn't talk about and I'd like to talk about a little bit tonight is how to react while you're in the storm. Now, you know, we said in that sermon last week or two weeks ago, we said, we talked about how that some of you in 2015, you'll face bankruptcy. Some of you may face divorce. Uh, some of you will uh, lose loved ones. Uh, you'll lose uh, friendships. You'll have uh, problems that you never saw coming. But we didn't talk about how do you react when you see those things coming. I think Acts chapter 4 gives us a great, great scriptural uh, model for what to do when we see those situations. We're going to read uh, verses 1 through 31. And uh, just hang with me. Stay with me and, and, and read along with me as best you can. It says, And as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple of the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold unto the next day, for it was now eventide. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. 
And it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and Anas and the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked him, by what power or by what name have you done this? You know what? I'm not going to read it all at one time. I can't take that. We're going to stop right there. I'm going to give you a little background, okay? That's, that's far enough for me to catch you up to where we're at. If you read the previous chapter, chapter 3, Peter and John are walking into the temple, and there's a guy laying outside the temple there who's been uh, handicapped all of his life. The Bible says he was lame from his mother's womb. So for years, this man is laid outside of this temple, and they didn't have social security disability back then. That's what this guy did. He laid outside of the door of the temple, and he begged for money as people were going in. And as Peter and John are walking in, this man says, Hey, uh, can, I, can, I get, can I get a little something? Can I get some alms? Can I get, some, can I get a little bit of money? Peter and John looked at him and said, You know what? We don't have any money. But I tell you what, why don't you just get up and walk? We can do better than that. We can do better than give you some money. We'll just, by the name of Jesus, we'll just heal you. So, obviously, he gets up. The people are, are, are astounded by this work, obviously. They see that, that this man is healed as a result of Jesus' name. Now, keep in mind, I want you to understand something. A lot of people get confused. You need to understand something about This is Bible study, so we're going to do some Bible study things tonight. It's, the book of Acts is a transitional narrative history book. There are things that were going on in Acts that are never going to happen again because of the time in history that it was. Now, am I implying that Jesus doesn't heal anymore? No, that's not what I'm saying. But the purpose of this miraculous healing was to validate what these apostles were doing for the purpose of one thing, and that was to spread the gospel around the world. That was the reason for these signs, because Jews seek a sign. They wouldn't believe just the word. They had to see something. So, they're performing these miracles so that these Jews... The result of that was, as you read on, Peter preaches a sermon to this crowd, and he informs them that this man was healed by the name of the man that you all hung on the cross. Peter tells him, you remember just a few months ago, maybe 60 or 90 days back, you guys wanted Barabbas... Because Barabbas was a terrorist and an insurrectionist, and every chance he got it, he was sticking it in the ear of the, of the Romans, and you liked what he was doing, but you wouldn't trust in Jesus. So you crucified him, so we'd rather have Barabbas. You know, we do that ourselves. We do that in our own lives, just like the Jews did. We can't see that Jesus has a plan. We can't wrap our minds around the fact that Jesus, had they have trusted him and accepted him as a Messiah, would have walked up and sat down on the throne and commanded the Romans to worship him, and that would have been a done deal. All they could see is, that's not how I got it figured out in my mind. We want some vindication. We want to whip these Romans because they've had their foot on our throats for all these years. So we'd rather have Peter and John... They, they tell them this. They explain to them that the guy that you passed on, just his name healed this guy right here. As a result, 5,000 people get saved. Man, what a great revival meeting that is. That's a bunch of people. As they're preaching and as they're telling about what Jesus has done and how Jesus had risen from the dead and how Jesus... And through his name and through the power of his name, this man is healed. Well, they come upon him. These guys come. And they're at the temple. and They come and they take him into custody. Now, I've heard that being taken into custody is a pretty scary thing. Um, <laughs> some of you get that. Um, and so they take him into custody and they go before the Sanhedrin. Do we get that picture by any chance? I want you to see this picture if we have it. This may be like the boat. No, there it is. There's the Sanhedrin. Can you see? Oh, yeah, there we go. All right, you see, they sat in this semicircle right here. There were 71 guys that sat on this, this, uh, this board or this group of men. The guys that are listed off in this verse here, uh, um, let's see, verse, verse 6, Anias the high priest. Actually, 
um, he was the high priest emeritus. He was retired. Caiaphas was his son-in-law, and he was the current high priest and the, the leader of this Sanhedrin group. And Peter and John have to stand in the center of that thing, and they have to answer questions and be held. They've got the lame man there, or the crippled guy that they healed is standing there with them, and, and, and they begin to question Peter and John about what they've done and what's taken place here. Now, I want you to keep in mind, you see the center of that spot right there, and I'm sure that's just a, 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 an artist's rendering of what they think it may have looked like, but for uh, demonstration purposes, it's perfect. Peter and John are standing there in the middle of that half circle there. You know who stood there about three, three months prior? Jesus. For the same people, same guys, and I have to believe in my mind that Peter and John are thinking about what happened to Jesus. Can you imagine what's going through their minds? There had to be either they're going to resolve to the fact that, well, this is it. We healed that one guy and a bunch of people got saved. And I guess we're going to see the same faith that Jesus had. But, man, it was a good run. Here we go. And they've got to start making some decisions about how they're going to approach this thing. Because they are definitely in the midst of a storm. So how do Peter and John react? And how can we look at this and as, as Christians... As, as New Testament Christians in the New Testament church age who live in a sin-cursed world that's ruled by Satan, we face difficulties and, and, and problems and distractions and storms. What do we do while we're in the midst of this storm? Well, the first thing we see is in verse 8. It says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, The first thing that we should do our first reaction while in the storm should be with control of the Holy Spirit. That's our first reaction, is with control of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a lot of confusion, I think, in modern-day Christianity with average church members and average laity. They, 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 because of scholarship and, and different denominations, there's confusion about things. People get a little spooked out about the Holy Spirit. Anytime that scholarship and, and church tradition contradicts Scripture, what, do we super, what supersedes what? What do we hold up? Scripture. So I want to look at some Scripture tonight and see if we can um, alleviate some of the confusion about the Holy Spirit. Now, um, well, let me just, let's start with this. The first thing about control of the Holy Spirit, the first thing I want to define is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Now, if I would have had more time, generally when I find out I'm preaching, it's, um, if I'm lucky, it's the night before. So I don't have a good handout for you. You're just going to have to try to stay plugged in. But the first point is we're going to react with control of the Holy Spirit. I want to define the first thing the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. What is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? If you had a handout, it'd be all written on there. But if you can catch this, write it down. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is the action by which God takes permanent residence in the body of a believer in Jesus Christ. Let me read that again. The action by which God takes permanent residence in the body of a believer in Jesus Christ. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 says, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Now, let's follow this, this timeline here, okay? Here's how it goes. Person, here's the scripture. I'm a firm believer that faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Person's going to get saved, scripture's got to be involved. The Bible's got to be involved. I, I've got to hear some scripture because it's the scripture that the Holy Spirit draws me. That's when I become drawn by the Holy Spirit. No man come to the Father unless he be drawn by the Spirit. So I hear scripture. I get convicted of my state. Salvation is, is in some situations, people make it too difficult. Some people make it too simple. But 
it's not rocket science. I have to reach a point in my life where I realize I'm a sinner and I've offended a holy God with my sin. That comes through hearing Scripture. I get drawn by that Spirit. Then I believe what I hear. I put my faith and trust in what Christ did on Calvary to pay that sin debt for me. Because if I pay it myself, that means I have to go to hell. So once I put my trust in what Christ did on Calvary to save me, then I'm sealed with that Holy Spirit. Right then at that moment. You've heard me say this before when I've filled in in the past. February the 1st, 1981, at Fairview Baptist Church in Little Rock, Arkansas, as an eight-year-old little boy, I put my trust in Christ to save me. I got all of the Holy Spirit that day that I'm ever going to get. No more, no less. I got it all right then. He, he moved in, took up residence in my, in my heart that day. The Bible says that we are not our own. We are bought with a price. We are the temple of God. What, the temple for what? The temple for the Holy Spirit to live in. That's where he indwells. That occurs at salvation. Let me show you this. Two verses here I want to I want to contrast, or not contrast, I want to compare. The first one is Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, we're saved through what? Faith. Say that again with me. We are saved through? Okay, great. Now, the next verse, Galatians chapter 3, verse 2 says, This only, what I learned of you, receive ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Okay? So you see there, he says, Do you receive the Spirit by works or by faith? The same author, the Apostle Paul, in the book of Ephesians said, For by grace are you saved through faith, not of works. You see what we're doing here? Here's basically what we're, what we're saying here. Some people, we use different terminology. Some people say, well, I was saved. I just said that. I said I was saved at Fairview Baptist Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. Some people use the term born again. That went out of style when I think Jimmy Carter's sister began to use it a lot. It messed everybody's head up, you know. So I saved, born again. Some people say I trusted Christ. I came to know the Lord. All of these are synonymous terms. We all mean the same thing. The day that I put my trust in Christ to forgive me and, take, and pay my sin debt for me, that's all salvation. Paul gives us another term that's synonymous with those same things, and that would be the receiving of the Spirit. So do you see the point there? I received the Spirit at salvation. I received the Spirit not by the works of the law, but by faith. I am saved not by works, but by faith. They're synonymous terms. Now, if that's not enough for you, Romans chapter 8, verse 9 says, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man, listen up, now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So what did the Scripture just say right there? If you don't have the Spirit, then you're not saved. Now, some of you are looking at me like, why is this such a big deal? Okay, well, here's why it's a big deal. Because everybody didn't think that. <laughs> and if we're going to think something, and if we're going to believe something, and we're going to have a doctrine, then we need to know why we believe it and why it's important and why it matters. There's a thing called the doctrine of subsequence. That, that is that they believe that you receive the Holy Spirit subsequent to your salvation or at a later date or at another time down the road. The Bible tells us right there, if you don't have the Spirit, then you don't have salvation. You re receiving the Holy Spirit or receiving the Spirit is synonymous with salvation. They occur at the same time. Why does that matter? Here's why it matters. Because in 1 Corinthians, where it says, 2 Corinthians, where it says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Now, I don't become a new creature because my eternal destiny has changed. I'm still the same old guy. Just because I'm going to heaven when I die, that doesn't change who I am now, does it? No. 
What changes who I am now is that the Holy Spirit moved in and took up residence in my life. That's what changes me. That's what makes me a new creature. That's what makes me new in Christ is that I have something new living inside me. So if you tell me that over here I get saved and I don't get that, then I didn't become new. If I didn't get that, then I didn't get saved according to the Scripture. And the reason it matters is because it's Scripture. And when church tradition and things that people believe that were passed down from their granddaddy differ with Scripture, Scripture is more important. We throw traditions out, we throw denominational beliefs out, and we go with Scripture. The reason that indwelling is important is because you have to differentiate that from the next thing that we want to define, and that is the filling of the Holy Spirit. It said there in that verse, in chapter 4, verse 8, it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said. Now, filling of the Holy Ghost, this is the next definition. The point at which the individual Christian relinquishes the control of his actions to the Holy Spirit. That's the filling of the Holy Spirit. There's a difference between indwelling and filling. They're different things. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 and 19 says, Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess. Paul uses that for an example. I'll show you how. He says, Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making a melody in your heart to the Lord. Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, is an illustration Paul uses there. Let me, tell, let me say it like this. If I am inebriated with some adult beverage, it's going to affect my actions. Would you agree with that? The reason that, that it is against the law to drive while intoxicated is because you can't drive while you're intoxicated. You're not in control. The alcohol's in control. You understand? Have you ever seen, have you ever heard the term somebody say, that guy's just filled with anger? What's controlling him? What's controlling him? Anger. anger. If somebody's filled with joy, what controls them? Joy. So here, the word filled, it's not a volume thing. It's not an amount thing. It's a control thing. Be not drunk with wine where it is excess. The thing that controls a drunk is the alcohol. But be ye filled with the Spirit. The thing that controls a Christian who is submitting is the Spirit. See, we have two choices. We can submit to the control of the Spirit or we can walk in the flesh. The Bible says that if you walk in the Spirit, you will not commit sin. I've heard people say, well, you know, nobody's perfect. Yes, you are perfect when you walk in the Spirit. The problem is we don't always walk in the Spirit. We step outside of the control of the Spirit, and when we do that, then we sin. So how do we remain perfect? Staying in the Spirit. The problem is we don't stay there. You've heard the story about the, the, uh, the Native American man who had two dogs, and they had dog fights all the time, and, and he would gamble on one dog one week, and that dog would win. He'd gamble on the next dog for a couple of weeks, and that dog would win two weeks in a row. And it was always changing, and he always seemed to know which dog was going to win. Somebody asked him one time, how do you know which dog is going to win? He said, it's real simple. He said, I have a white dog and a black dog. And whichever dog I want to win that week, I feed him the most. So the dog that's been fed the most is always the one that wins because the other one's weak. Pretty simple, isn't it? Whichever one's going to control the situation is either the one that's been fed the most, the flesh, or the spirit. So which one are you feeding the most tonight? Which one are you relinquishing this control to? And if you're filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit, there is a sign of that filling. It says, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making a melody in your heart to the Lord. So how do I achieve this filling? Well, you got your Bible, turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, we're going to look at verse 16. I don't have any, you know, great illustrations that's going to jerk any tears tonight. This is a Bible study, so hang in here with me, all right? I'll think up a one before I get done here. <laughs> Colossians chapter 3, well, I've got some. They're pretty good. We'll round one up here in a minute. 
Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. We're talking about the filling or the controlling of the Holy Spirit. Now, think, keep in mind, let's get back to our story here. Peter and John are standing, we don't have any more. Peter and John are standing in front of the Sanhedrin. These guys have just crucified Jesus a few months back. And they didn't just crucify him. They didn't just like give him a lethal injection and he went to sleep. Before they crucified him and nailed him to a cross, they beat him half to death with a whip. They spit on him. Uh, just unbelievable torture before he even got to the cross. This stuff's got to be rattling around in their heads. And they've got to be thinking about this. And they're trying to figure out how are we going to do this. So the answer was Peter responded being controlled by the Holy Spirit. You know what? Let's review what this is all about. You're going to face some storms in 2015. So how do you react? First of all, by being controlled by the Holy Spirit. Then when you get in this storm and you react by being controlled by the Holy Spirit, you're going to do the right thing. You're going to make the right moves. You're going to get through this storm as unscathed as possible because you acted in the control of the Holy Spirit. How do we do that? Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. Look at this, what the result is. And psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. Some of you heard me give this illustration. You've been to Friday Night Live Recovery. I'm working at a car dealership. I was in the car business for about 20 years. And uh, I was sitting up on the tower. I was a sales manager. I was sitting up on this tower. That's where we sit up there and um, look down on people, you know, especially salesmen. We just harass them, talk crazy to them. I'm just kidding. So I'm sitting up in the tower, and everybody's kind of busy. The, 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 the showroom's kind of emptied out. There's salesmen out there waiting on customers, guys up there with their desks. And there's a young lady who's the switchboard operator. Now, I didn't write this rule, and I've never hired one, not one. I've never hired a switchboard operator. Well, it just wasn't my job. But for some reason, they don't ever hire unattractive <laughs> switchboard operators. I don't know why that is. I would think that a person who is slightly overweight and not very attractive, could answer the phone just as well as an attractive girl. But for some reason, they can at a car dealership. I think it has something to do with the general manager that's doing the hiring. I don't know. But um, so this girl's sitting there, and she starts talking to me. And I, I really, I want to say, why are you talking to me? <laughs> There's no need for you to talk to me. I didn't call. I'm already here. And I had been reading just a few days before the proverb that talks about the woman that comes to the man in the evening and she begins to flatter him and uh, gives a description of the fluttering of her eyes and gives a real detailed description of this uh, woman whose reputation is less than stellar, how she does. And this girl began to do exactly what that verse, what those verses said. I'll never forget, she said, I sure like that tie. That's a nice tie you have on. So she just flattered me. This is going through my head. I said, thank you. My wife bought that for me. Boom! I took off. I went down out of the tire, went back. I had to go find something to do. I had to get busy. You know, I got something I got to check on. I'm gone. Now, the only reason that it was possible for that to happen, it wasn't because I was a great Christian. It really wasn't. I mean, it was because I had been reading that scripture. And therefore, the Holy Spirit had the opportunity, had the arrow for his bow when I began to maybe slip off into a bad situation for him to shoot that arrow at me and say, you remember that verse you read the other day? You might want to get away from that. I remember another time I was living in a dormitory situation. <laughs> you like that? It's pretty good, isn't it? It's back when I lived in a gated community. Um, I was struggling a little bit socially, all right? It's crazy. I can tell one prison story, and everybody's in. My brother's preaching one time. You know, those of you who heard my brother, he's, he's pastor of church. He's preaching. He said, for those of you that don't know it, I got a little brother that's in federal prison, and this little kid, this little bu kid that rode the bus sitting on the front row said, for what? So I'm living in this dormitory situation, and for some reason, man, I am really struggling socially. That's code for I couldn't get along with anybody. 
You see, I'm used to being the guy up on the sales tower that's telling everybody what to do, and I'm always getting my way, and I come here, and guess what? I don't get my way here, okay? i got to figure out a way to fit in, and, and I wasn't doing a real good job of it. I'm just being transparent with you tonight. And I'm reading my Bible one morning, and I come across a verse that says, Answer not a fool according to his folly, unless thou become like unto him. And I went, whoa. I remember that like a couple days later, I read another verse. It talks about how the, he that meddleth in another's affairs like taking a dog by his ears. I said, whoa. And I began to think about it. The Holy Spirit began to, to convict me. The reason you're struggling is because you won't mind your own business and you won't keep your mouth shut. So I wrote those two verses down on a three-by-five card. Started memorizing them, carried them around my pocket. I'm walking through the unit one day, the dormitory, excuse me. And uh, I got to walk through the back of it. There's a, a group of... A gentleman standing at the back there, they're having some kind of conversation. I still remember what they're arguing about. They're arguing about Tim Tebow and what year he won the Heisman Trophy and what their record was that year. And, and I happened to know it was the year they went 9-4. and four. They didn't win the national championship the year he won the Heisman Trophy. So I'm walking through there, and I hear him talking about that. And I'm about to pop in and jump in this, and I went, Answer not a fool according to his folly, unless I'll become like unto him. He didn't meddle in those affairs like that. I said, no, I don't think so. I think I'm going to keep going. They, they'll figure that out on their own. They don't need me. It transformed the rest of my time there. But I don't keep my mouth shut and mind my own business. And you know what? Every time I would want to get in something, the Holy Spirit now had the bullet in the gun to shoot me and say, Hey, shut up! But until I had that, He didn't have that opportunity to be able to control me. The only way that you can put yourself in a position for the Holy Spirit to be able to control you is to get in this book right here and give Him the opportunity to be able to control you. Because I I hate to tell you this, He's not going to send you a message in a bottle. The Holy Spirit doesn't use Twitter, okay? He still uses the book. So if you get in the Scripture and you get your quiver full of arrows for different situations, when you get yourself in a jam, then the Holy Spirit can take one of those out and say, you might not want to do that. That's not a very good idea. That's not really a good store for you to even be going in. Go to the next one. But if you don't do that, the Holy Spirit can't control you. And remember, indwelling happens at salvation. Filling happens when we relinquish control to that Holy Spirit. He is able to control us equal to the amount of Scripture that we have bound in our hearts. Pretty simple. Hard to do, not difficult, not a difficult uh, 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 formula, just hard to do sometimes. So the first thing that we see, first thing that we see about how to react to a storm is with the filling of the Holy Spirit. The second way that we react to a storm, number two, is with courage to hold strong. Man, this, these verses right here, I got to reading these verses today. We're going to look at verses 9 through 13. And man, they were really exciting. This is Peter's response. This is how the Holy Spirit led him to respond. He said, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole. Now, let's hold up. Peter said, okay, we're standing in front of you today, and you're going to judge us about healing this man and how he did it. Let's go. Verse 10, he says, Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby ye must be saved. Verse 13 says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. And they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Now think about the courage that it took for Peter and John to stand there and say, Look, you guys are going to hold us here. You're going to put us on trial because we healed this guy in Jesus' name. 
And you're mad because we keep propagating the name of Jesus and we keep lifting him up and we keep testifying about him and we're healing people and we're telling people to repent of your Judaism and follow the Lord. Put your trust in Christ and the work that he did on Calvary and you don't like that and that makes you mad. I I can't help it. That's too bad. What kind of boldness did that take knowing that the result of that answer would be a cross, just like Jesus went to. It's the same guys. It's the same bunch of men that 90 days earlier put Jesus on the cross. <coughs> How does that happen? How do you do that? You know, Vince Lombardi made the statement that fatigue makes cowards of us all. He said, you know what, if we have more stamina than any other team we play, if we're in better physical condition, middle of the third quarter when you get in your stance and you look at that guy across the line from you and you know he's tired, you can know in your heart he's afraid. I was telling a story to these guys the other day, some friends of mine, about this game I was playing in when I was in high school. And they had this running back, and this guy was, uh, he was large. And it was one of those things where every time we broke the huddle, I was playing defensive tackle, I'm walking over, getting ready to get in my stance, thinking, man, I hope they don't give it to that guy right there. Please just let it be a quarterback sweep or something pass anything but don't oh they're giving it to him i I, i'm gonna tell you my courage was wavering a little bit because i was tired of that guy sticking his knees in my chin that happens to us at times We, we just get tired and as a result of our fatigue we lose our courage listen you you've got to muster up the courage in the middle of this storm to be able to react the way that peter and john did I'm reminded of the story, greatest story, I think, about this subject, without a doubt, is David and Goliath. We all know the story, but I'm going to tell it anyway because it's a great story. Here's this youngster, teenager probably, 17, 18-year-old kid. He goes down to the battlefield. How Hollywood can't figure this out that it's the greatest story ever and make a cool movie about it, I don't know. But they always want to come up with something new and the greatest things ever have already been written. They've got this valley down here, and all the Israelites are on one side, and all the Philistines are on the other side. They've got this big giant dude down in the middle, and he's just mocking them. Or as we would say today, talking some trash to them. I mean, he's talking greasy to them, talking about their God, calling them a bunch of chickens and cowards and sissies, and up comes David. He's just a little kid. I seen a painting the other day, pretty grisly-looking painting, and David, it's a picture of a young boy, and he's got his foot on Goliath's chest, and he's holding up this big giant head where he's just cut Goliath's head off. What gave that kid the courage to walk down in that valley with a slingshot? Well, it's in 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 29. He asks his brothers, is there not a cause? You know what? The thing that helps you to be able to muster up the courage when you're in that storm and you want to quit, is a cause. Why, why is it that you, that you get up every morning? Why is it that you come to Temple Baptist Church when it's freezing cold and sit in a tent and listen to the fill-in guy? If I'd have been some of y'all, when you see me putting the earpiece on, I'd have slipped out the back door. Nobody had ever missed you. But you didn't. You stayed. Why is that? Because there's a reason we do this. And as much as I love this guy that's always here, he's not it. It's not me, it's not this church, it's not for a new building, it's for the Lord. That's why we do it. That's the cause that we do the things that we do. You know, what was different for Peter? You think about it. I keep referring back a few months prior to this situation that Peter's in. They hung Jesus on the cross, but a few months prior in this same situation, what was Peter's reaction in a storm? Well, he ran out of the porch. He got scared, denied him three times. So what happened? What changed? Well, the first thing I I think, and and, well, the only thing, is Peter just didn't get it. Luke chapter 18, verse 31 through 34, Jesus is talking to the disciples, and he said, Then he took unto him the twelve and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem. And all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles, and shall be mocked, and spitefully entreated, and spitted on. 
And they shall scourge him and put him to death. And the third day he shall rise again. They understood none of these things. And this saying was hid for them. Neither knew they the things which were spoken. In the passage in Matthew that talks about this same thing, Peter, when Jesus tells them, I've got to go and die on the cross, and on the third day I'll rise again, it says that Peter rebuked him. Can you imagine that? Peter bows up Jesus and says, Hey, wait a minute. Now, you don't know what you're talking about. There's no way that's going to happen. We can't do that. You can't die. He didn't get it. You know why we lose courage sometimes? Because we don't get it. We have somehow, just like Peter, we don't focus on what it's really all about. We lose sight of the eternal ramifications and we zero in on these temporal circumstances that we happen to be in at the time. We're going through a storm, we're facing some difficulties, and we forget that there's a much bigger thing going on than where we're at right now. I understand trials and storms and difficult times. Believe me, I understand that. I understand financial difficulty. I told somebody the other day, I said, man, there was a time that I did have a few things. I had a really good job and I made really good money. I wore custom suits and custom shirts. I didn't have a tag in my dress shirts back in the day. It had my name in them. I made a lot of money in the car business, and I had a lot of cool stuff, and I drove new cars and had all the toys you can imagine, and I was a miserable person. I don't have two nickels to rub together now. The only thing I have left from that is this pen right here, and that's it. You're not getting this pen. That's all I got left. And I'm happier today. I live in a $300 a month rent house. And by, by the way, my landlord is one of the greatest people in the world. Um, I hope he keeps the rent there. Um, And I'm happier now than I have ever been in my life. You know why? Because all of that stuff didn't matter. All of that, that money and those things and those accomplishments and me being the boss and the big guy, none of that stuff mattered. It's all gone now, except for this pen. It's all gone. And I'm happier now than I've ever been. Because I have a feeling that possibly, maybe now, through the ministry of Temple Baptist Church, the Lord's given me the opportunity that I might be able to make a difference in somebody's life for eternity. You see, we focus on the temporal things. And when you focus on the temporal things, the things that will go away, the things that will burn and rust down and you'll lose and they'll be destroyed, you focus on those things, you'll always be disappointed. You'll always be let down because they are temporary. And when you're going through a storm and you're going through a difficult time and you don't understand why it is that you're going through that thing, you're focusing too much on this temporal life that we're living in and you're not looking at the big picture because God has bigger plans and bigger things going on than you. You're just a part of it. Remember this story about this little kid? He's sitting down on the floor and his grandmother's doing needlepoint. Have you ever seen how that looks from the bottom? He looked up there and he said, Grady, that's a mess. She said, oh, no, it's not a mess. She reached down and picked up the little boy and set him in her lap. She said, you just got to see it from my perspective. You see, we too often look at these things from down there. We don't look at them from how God sees them. We think our whole life's going to pieces We just don't seem to be able to find the courage to just hold on. Well, I'm telling you, it's because you're just like Peter. Somehow you just don't get it. You're focusing on the temporal things rather than the eternal things. So what do we do when we're in this storm? First thing we do is how do we react with this when we're in this storm? With the control of the Holy Spirit. Second thing we react with is with the courage to hold strong. Man, you got to muster that courage up somehow to hold on. And the thing that helps you to be able to find that courage to hold on is to tap into that cause. It was the cause that gave David the courage to walk down into that valley with five stones and a a slingshot to face a nine-foot giant. It was bigger than him. It was bigger than that giant. He had a God that was on his side that he could have confidence in. He could have courage because of that God, not because of him. 
Because if David walks down in that valley on his own, that guy's fixed to squash him like a bug. But if you do it, because if you have the right cause, you won't have any problems in that storm. The third thing, the third way that we react to this storm is with continuation of habit. I want you to look at verse 20. Verse 20 in chapter 4. They tell him in verses 14 through 19, hey, look, man, here's what we're going to do, all right? They didn't say it like this, but you read it. It's pretty much what it says. They said, look here. All right, you heal the guy. That's good. But let's just keep it on the DL, all right? Don't say anything about it. Just get on out of here. We don't want no more uprisings and problems. You know, uh, we still hadn't all of that from when we crucified. That hadn't blown over yet. So you guys just beat it and cut this out, okay? Here was their response. Now, they're fixing to get out of this, okay? They're fixing to duck out of this because the Sanhedrin really don't want any more problems. But they say, but you've got to keep your mouth shut, all right? Verse 20. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. They say, man, we can't. You do what you got to do, but we're not going to quit. We're not going to quit preaching. We're not going to quit uplifting the name of Jesus. We're not going to quit healing people. We're not going to quit spreading the gospel, the good news of Jesus and his grace and his death, burial, and resurrection. We're not stopping that. So you might as well just go ahead and do what you got to do. With continuation of habit. You know what happens to us? We get in a storm, and we quit doing the things that we know we're supposed to do. My brother asked me, we're riding up the street one day. We're riding at 157, as a matter of fact. Right up through there. I'll never forget it. I was getting ready to go to stay in that gated community. And he said, uh, he said, man, how did this happen? For those of you who don't know, let me just get, let's, let's deal with the pink cup. I was a member of this church when it started. Uh, I was the youth director here. I led the singing. I was good. Now, I could be Brother Kendrick and Brother Jalen's job. Uh, <laughs> I was the youth director. I was the uh, music director. Still, still small church. And, and so I grew up in church. My dad was a deacon. My mom was a Sunday school teacher. I've been in church all my life. Obviously, my brother was a preacher. And uh, as an adult, uh, I backslid. I uh, got involved in narcotics. Long story short, didn't turn out very good. I wasn't very good at it. Uh, and, and, and I, I, went to, uh, I went to prison for 84 months. Got 84 months sentence in federal prison. Did 67 months in prison. And I, I'm riding up the street, and my brother, who is a pastor at the time, and uh, great to me through all of it. He's my best friend to this day. He said, man, I, I just got to ask you. He said, how did it happen? He said, how did you go from where we were to, to this? He said, I'm not trying to bust your chops, man. I, I just got to know. And this wasn't my preacher brother asking. This is my brother asking me. I said, man, it's really simple. I said, it started because I quit reading my Bible and praying every day. I, I just got away from it. I got busy. You know, I, I got promoted at work, and all of a sudden now I, I'm not working, right, you know, in town. I, I got to drive to Decatur. It's not that much, not that big a deal of going to Decatur. Uh, uh, I'll make more money, and I got a nicer demo, and, and you know, I'm, man, I'm only 24 years old. I'm a finance manager, a new car dealership. Hey, who wouldn't do that, right? I didn't think about the fact that all of a sudden now my schedule's shot. I'm going to miss church some. Uh, I'm always running right on time, but maybe a little behind trying to get the sales meeting on time. So things begin to slip. Quit reading my Bible like I should. Next thing that happens, well, i got to work on Wednesday night. You know how that goes. My job, my ox is in the ditch. Yeah, whatever. Quit coming to church on, on Wednesday night. I started figuring out ways on Sunday morning. You know, uh, I, I, I wasn't the youth director anymore. I had started teaching adult Sunday school classes. Somehow I maneuvered out of that and let somebody else take over, start teaching for a while, give them a chance, you know, whatever. So I'm the Sunday school superintendent or some really stupid thing like that. I went around and counted. So what I'd do is I'd get the count real quick, and then I'd shoot and go down to, instead of going to Sunday school classes, sitting down like I should have done, I, I went up to McDonald's and got a biscuit and some coffee. Just started missing Sunday school. Yeah, what's the big deal? I'm the Sunday school superintendent. So now I miss church on Wednesday night. I'm not reading my Bible and praying like I should. Not, you know, not going to Sunday school like I should. I just quit doing the things that I knew to do, that I was supposed to be doing. 
And that is exactly what we do when we get in these situations. I heard a story about John Wooden. This guy went to a basketball camp. John Wooden was a great basketball coach for, for UCLA, won like 18 national championships, just something ridiculous. In the 70s, nobody won a national championship besides UCLA. Entire 10-year span there, they won it every year. And this, this guy was telling a story about being at a basketball camp that John Wooden was at. And he said he looked out the window, and he was tutoring a current professional basketball player. The way he described he wouldn't give the guy's name, the way he described it up there was probably Bill Walton, because Bill Walton played at UCLA. And so he said, I'm a teenager, and there was a counselor in the room with me. We were standing there looking out the window, and I said, is that? He said, yep, that's him. He said, what is he doing? He said, well, sometimes NBA players will come back and have – Coach wouldn't help them with some things they're struggling with. He said, I do those same drills in my high school. He said, yeah. He said, that's what he always does. He takes them back to the very basics, the very most simplistic, foundational things that they learn, and that's where he starts. And it's usually something there that they've missed or dropped or quit doing that's messed up their game. That's exactly what happens to us as Christians. We stop doing the little basic things things. We quit doing the things that we did when things were right during those storms. Why is it that when we get discouraged or we get in a storm and life is tough and we're going through a, a difficult situation, first thing we want to do is not come to church on Wednesday night. And I know it's crazy to say that to y'all because you're all here. But think about it down the road. Remember this down the road. When, when you do face a financial burden or you face a, a marital issue Listen, do you know how many times I've pulled into this parking lot in 20 years fighting with my wife and we came on to church anyway? More times than I can count. <laughs> Probably within the last two weeks. But you can't quit. You can't stop doing the things you're supposed to do just because you're going through difficult times. That's when you really have to dig in and keep doing the things that you're supposed to do. The Bible says, Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season ye shall reap if you faint not. You must keep doing the things that you know to do. He said, For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. He said it doesn't matter if we wanted to, we couldn't quit doing it. Now, we're nearly done. But I want to remind you a story in Romans chapter 4 about Abraham. You remember I was talking about a couple weeks ago, when I was talking about trials and difficult things and bad situations. And, and I said, man, imagine, oh, Abraham, God comes to him and he says, hey, you're going to have a baby. You have a son. Abraham is fired up, man. He said, I'm 75 years old. I still got it. His wife's in her mid-60s. He's thinking, it's going to have to happen pretty quick. <laughs> you know, a couple weeks later, well, Sarah, how you feeling? A little sick, maybe? Nope, nothing. I feel great. Oh. Putting on a little weight, maybe? Nope, nothing. All of a sudden, you know, like we said, days turn into weeks, weeks turn into years, years turn into decades. It's 20-something years later. She's still not pregnant. He still didn't have a son with Sarah. He's tried a couple of things. He quit doing the things he knew to do that were right. Tried to do some things on his own that blew up in his face. Don't have time to go through the whole story of Abraham, but Romans chapter 4 says that he believed God. He believed God. He just kept going. And the Bible says it was counted to him for righteousness. He f the problem is, number four, the way we should react in these trials and these difficult situations is with commitment to the cause. Let's look at this verse. Let's look at the end of this chapter. Verse 24 says, And when they had heard that, right, let's start with verse 23. And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, and when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which hast made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that in them is. Who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? Kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together 
For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now the Lord, and now, Lord, behold, threatenings and and now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servant that with all boldness they may speak thy word, by stretching forth thy hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken, where they were assembled together, and they were filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. You see, what they did is they committed to the cause. They wrapped their minds around the fact that this thing's bigger than me. This, this storm that I'm in is bigger than me. It's more important than me. Just because I'm going through a difficult situation in life, God has a bigger purpose in life for me than this little storm that I'm in. The fact that my transmission went out on my car, I just got my hours cut back at work, my wife lost her job, all these things are going on here. That's not really happening to me. But I've been in those kind of situations before. You know what? It's bigger than all that. It really is. It just is bigger than that. The truth of the matter is, we live in a world that's lost and dying without Christ. And you understand that people that die without Christ, they go to hell and they stay there and they never get out. And you know that we were left here on earth as Christians for one purpose, and that is to tell others what Christ has done for us. The Bible says he could have used the angels, but he didn't. He chose us to spread the gospel. That's why we're here. It's bigger than that storm that you're in. And that's exactly what Peter and John decided right here in this prayer. They said, Lord, you're in control of these things. You knew what was going on with the Sanhedrin when they had Jesus standing there. You knew what was going to happen when the Romans took hold of him. They said, Lord, you knew what was going on when they had us. And we trust you. And whatever happens, we figure you're in charge of this whole thing. And we take our agendas and we set it aside and we're going to commit to this cause. Do you know the difference in a ham and egg breakfast between the chicken and the hog? The chicken makes a contribution every day. The hog is committed. And we want hogs for Jesus, right? We need people who are committed to the cause of Christ. And it's bigger than your own agenda. It's bigger than the things. And, and listen, I don't know if you realize this or not. It's bigger than what's going on here. We're just lucky to get to be a part of it. Now, I'm glad we're a part of it in a, in a place that's, I think, plugged into it. And you can see that by the... There's evidence of that sitting around us this, this evening. But I'm telling you, this thing is bigger than you getting in a fight with your girlfriend last week. It's, it's bigger than your job going bad. It's, it's really... And I'm, and I'm not lessening this... And if you're in this situation right now, forgive me, because I don't know it. But it's bigger than the loss of a loved one. That's a terrible thing. We all get heartbroken by those things. But you know what? Can't lay down and quit. Can't give up. There are bigger things going on in that. What we want to do is make sure that the next loved one that passes away knows Jesus. It's bigger than that. There's a big cause here. And what we've got to do is commit to that cause and make sure, just like Peter and John, that we react to these storms in the right way. First of all, we, act, we react with the, uh, the Holy Spirit, with the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We are controlled by the Holy Spirit. The second thing that we've got to do is we've got to react with courage to hold on strong. Man, when you want to quit, you want to give up, you want to throw in the towel, you've got to muster up the courage to find a reason to keep going. That reason is very simple. Jesus died on a cross and paid my sin debt. That's a good enough reason right there. The third reason is we've got to, with continuation of habit, I've got to keep doing the things I know to do, the things that I've always done in the past, the things that have brought me to the place that I am right now in my Christian walk. When I get in a storm, in a difficult situation, I can't stop doing those things. I can't quit those things. I've got to stay faithful to the things that brought me here. And then last of all, we've got to react with commitment to the purpose. We've got to look at this thing and realize it's bigger than us. It is way bigger than our storm. Every head bowed and every eye closed. 
want you to think about it. Take inventory this, this evening of yourself and your, your own situation. You know, we all face trials and difficulties, and we faced uh, uh, um, some people in here have faced some, some life-altering changes in the last year, year and a half. And I'm certain that you've asked the question, how in the world am I supposed to get through this? Well, I tell you tonight, there is a way to get through it. There is a way to react to these storms and to navigate your way through these storms. And I'd just like to see us in 2015 to commit to staying faithful and reacting well to these storms. Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight for your, uh, for your word and the encouragement that we get from it. Lord, I pray that you bless each person that's here. I pray that you would just help us as we press on for you. And one way or another, Lord, probably every person in this room faces some type of storm right now. I pray that you'd help us. Help us, Lord, to react with the control of the Holy Spirit. Help us.